This show is brought to you by Brain First Training Institute, ICF accredited coach certifications and applied neuroscience training. To become a brain-based coach, get certified in applied neuroscience and stay up to date with what's happening in the world of applied neuroscience and coaching, join our Brain First community over at brainfirsttraininginstitute.com. Hey, it's Ramon and welcome to Brain Coach Radio, where we hear from expert coaches, leaders and trainers who are using applied neuroscience to help their clients get life-changing results. We discuss various coaching topics, neuroscience insights, business tips and much more, all to help you succeed. Now, let's get into the episode. No interruptions. Enjoy, my friends. Ramon. Uh, How are you? I'm good. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you here and great to see you. What what have you been doing in the coaching space? Have you been integrating more of this into your current work or are you keeping them separate or like what? what, Yeah, no, it is an integration. So uh, probably easiest to give it a a little sort of historical background for the the sake of of flow in my mind, I suppose. Um, So obviously I come from a chiropractic background and it's always – Basically, the technique I use is called neuro impulse protocol. So I've always been um, uh, interested in the brain and how can you be as effective possible and how can you look at the primary problem rather than uh, at a compensation, uh, which is uh, easily derived by doing a variety of muscle tests and looking at uh, reflexes and compensation patterns. It's uh, anyway won't go into that but because i wanted to understand that better i actually started doing this functional neurology course which as i previously alluded to is is uh, about neurodevelopment um and more hemispherically based and obviously what i see there is that people that still have uh persistent primitive reflexes they um more from a clinical experience, but they've got a they've got a, a um, less of a, uh, a well developed um, body awareness system, so to speak. And this is a gross generalization. Some people can even can be brilliant at it and still have persistent primitive reflexes, but this is just over the whole. Um, and uh, but when. So as you know, the parasympathetic nervous system really only starts integrating in the first year of life. I mean, so we're born with the sympathetic nervous system. And as the primitive reflexes ought to be integrated in the first 12 months of life as well, when there's a sort of a mismatch, what you can tend to find is that these people sort of tend to stick more in a sympathetic tone. And obviously from the polyvagal theory of... uh, um, that's that's not a, uh, a desirable state to 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 be in, and it's very hard to get people out of that state unless you uh, drive their neurology. Uh, in my, or at least that's the way I would address it, um, and that's obviously looking at at sleep and nutrition and exercise and all these things, but also very specifically giving exercises to integrate these primitive reflexes. And, um, and what was interesting also, what, uh, what Reiti was saying is the, the, the effect of, um, 
of coordination and balance, i.e. the cerebellum and the vestibulum and the vestibular apparatus, and uh, uh, which is obviously uh, the part really that sort of sits on top of the primitive reflexes in the pyramid of, of neurodevelopment, um, which has an effect on attention, on academic skills and all, all these uh, and all the rest of it. And when you look at people from a neurological point of view, so I'm looking, so how's the left doing comparing to the right? I mean, for instance, uh, one that's always uh, very, uh, how do you say that? Uh, well, ex explanatory, I suppose, to, or, or um, visual for people is the Fukuda step test, where basically people walk 50 steps with their eyes closed with their arms in front and some people turn 180 degrees to the left mm -hmm. um, which basically shows me you know from a growth system that the right side's pushing the left side uh, and is stronger and is basically pushing you to the left and that in combination with other neurological tests can give you an indication of where is somebody can they stand on their left leg as long as on the right can they how is their uh, this diadochokinesis, I don't want to get into too much lingo, but I mean, the, um, but these are very easy terms to, where you can assess people uh, and you can also reassess them when you do an intervention. So you stimulate the vestibulum or their, um, their uh, cerebellum or whatever parts of the brain you, you want to target. And then you can retest, has it had an effect? And now, the interesting thing is um, uh, actually doing the course with you because I, I, I was just looking for how can I use useful tidbits also sort of to, to drop into people because ultimately if you want to change the brain, you can do it bottom up or top down. And preferably you do it both ways. Yeah. And... Uh, and obviously, looking at primitive reflexes and looking really at the at the core neurology and doing it from the bottom up, but the better people understand it, people can sort of uh, make um, uh, understanding of what it is that's happening in their in their system. Um, the faster that works, and as a matter of fact, and this is not scientific in any way, shape, or form, but it's uh, what I would sometimes do is assess somebody, um, for instance, a, a past pointing test would be in there, which is basically the patient touches their own nose and then they need to touch my finger with their eyes open. And afterwards they do with their eyes closed. And if they're on target, they're on target, but sometimes they're way off. Uh, now, then there's a variety of interventions I could do from a physical point of view. But what I actually noticed that once they would come in also with a question or their system got sort of jammed up uh, due to a uh, an emotional incident with their boss or their spouse or whatever, and and they sort of seized up, so to speak. And so we talk about it, and I ask questions, uh, and they have the aha moment, and I retest, and they're bang on. Now that's interesting. Very. So, um, so I'm trying to sort of uh, attack it from as many angles as I can. And sometimes 
the physical entrance is the is the best one and sometimes it's the emotional one and the uh, or the psychological whichever but the the, the, the talkative variety um the nice thing with doing using actually sort of hard neurological test uh, pre and post and then asking questions and people notice the difference afterwards. They notice they can do it. And then they realize, okay, so it's my mental formations and it's the way I hold myself. How is my physique? How is... Uh, how did I respond to, to a given situation? And then they notice, hey, I'm breathing differently. I'm sitting here differently. I'm understanding what's going on. And now I can do this test, which I couldn't do before. It's very empowering mm -hmm. rather than me doing something to them, uh, which made a change. Obviously, they can still see, hey, if I do this exercise, it's going to have an influence. And they feel it. Um, and rather than just the physical um, uh, influence they experience, I really also drive them to feel, okay, what are you feeling differently? What is changing in your internal experience? You know, really to, to, to go to an interceptive um, uh, state. Um, what I thought was interesting, what Amanda Blake said, she said, okay, so you can, you can look at the body from a, an athletic point of view and then it's almost a machine doing performance kind of thing. But can you, can you really feel and be present in your system? Um, now, uh, I've done lots of martial arts from a relatively young age uh, and yoga and qigong tai chi but also shotokan um but what i recently discovered is that although these are all practices that are meant to be done from the inside i still didn't from a more extrinsic perspective was i doing this right yeah yeah so i was really uh, still looking from the outside in. So uh, am I pleasing the teacher, so to speak, right? So am I doing this right? Yeah. But if you really come and feel the inside of your system and then start moving, so I can do now the exact same exercises as I used to, and it's an entirely different experience. Yeah. Changes everything. Changes everything. Yeah. So what, um, what, uh, what do most of your clients come to see you for before you take them on this journey? I, I suppose still lots of people come with a complaint, <laughs> which could be, could be anything. could be a headache or uh, it could also feeling unbalanced uh, from a physical and emotional point of view. I mean, I get a, 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 a plethora of people coming from a lot of angles, but some people do come now and they say, listen, I'm in a, I'm now in, in the executive suite thing and I'm actually a little disgruntled with life. Is this really, there's, is, is there more to it? I mean, from a coaching perspective, I see, I think entrepreneurs and 
people, executives and actors from, an, uh, interestingly, um, but obviously a lot of people come first through the, the, the more functional neurological side from a chiropractic point of view, and then we, we go for the next level mm. from a more coach, a coaching uh, perspective because uh, then, you know, I've got more time and things can develop. Um, but it's, and the main thing, what I tend to find is that, or the thing that I gear towards is um, body awareness, really. And, um, and also feeling boundaries, you know, obviously a lot of people struggle with emotional boundaries, mm. um, you know, and that can be um, a variety of overstepping your own boundaries. But all these people that don't experience emotional boundaries have a terrible sense of physical boundaries. They don't really live in their system, so to speak. And really um, our moving body is the start of our thinking and emotional body. So first we move and then we start feeling and thinking. And what I think or what I've seen at least in practice is that people that have had a, a harder time in development uh, where let's say their parents have been uh, emotionally unavailable or where it's uh, been dangerous, uh, either emotionally or physically or both, um, then your brain takes a very smart choice and thinks, okay, so my safety lies outside of me. So how can I control whatever it is that I control on the outside to make sure that I feel well. And obviously we would wish on a child that there's safety around them so they don't have to look outside and they can just feel, okay, what's the difference between biting on a pen or on my finger? My finger hurts and the pen doesn't. So there's a difference. So you start noticing what is, what is me and what is other. Um, and uh, not everybody has had uh, has had the luxury of of, um, of getting there in in early life, but it's still possible to get there now. Um, that exact um, conversation uh, with Kelly Marla uh, when we're talking about interoceptive awareness, developing interoceptive awareness. The episode hasn't come out yet. I think it comes out next week or so. Uh, under the I raised the controversial idea of. Um, what do you think about the cried out method where you leave babies alone and you get them to just cry rather than tending to their needs? And there was some speculation around um, not being able to develop this interoceptive awareness at an early age when that happens. So, yeah, it's, and, and so you're saying that, you know, that, that can be the case and maybe it's through, you know, a combination of genetics, neglectful sure. parenting, like there's probably yeah. other variables we can add. Nice. So what what um what are some of the things that that you'll do with people to help them then if you've recognised that hey we need to develop some 
some uh, the embodied self, we need to develop some interoceptive awareness here. What are some of the things that you would do with with people to help them if they're like, you know, look, this is just so foreign to me. Like I can't even, I can't even, I don't even know what it feels like to be in my body and what, what that even means. Yeah. Well, the, uh, yeah, obviously, so now I've got a, a chiropractic answer and a, and a coaching answer. Um, yeah, both. Let's go both. Obviously, I use both. Um, so the, and and you're right. I mean, it could be it could be epigenetics from the the, the match of the parents, or it could be stress during uh, pregnancy, or around you know around label. There's a there's a plethora of things that you know, obviously influence this. Um, so from a chiropractic point of view, I would find out so are there primitive reflexes, and then I give specific exercises for the. For the for the reflexes that are still present, um, when I see there's uh, let's say what I tend to see if there if there is a deficiency uh, which pertains to uh, a lack of body awareness, it's the right brain, um, uh, obviously, um, which links with the left cerebellum. So you can see, okay, how's the cerebellum doing? Which is always a very nice entry into the system because it affects so much. Um, and it's not initiation just of, of movement, but it's also initiation of speech, of initiation of where does somebody come into the system? When do they do it? But uh, from, a, from a bodily perspective, I just give them exercise, which could be complex movements just on the left side of their body. Um, which I will do passively and they can do actively. So making figure of eight patterns with their upper limb and the lower limb. And when they get better, you do them uh, contra, you do them counter rotation. Um, these could be things that you can do um, uh, making circles with uh, perturbation, i.e. so they've got to make a circle and I try and sort of take them out of there so that they need keep going um, so these are physical things one can do for um, for, for activating um, uh, the cerebellum you can do a, a lot of other things if especially if there's if there's an imbalance it really serves to treat them from a unilateral standpoint rather than from a bilateral standpoint so, and it can be, okay, start brushing your teeth with your left hand while standing on your left foot. If that mm. becomes too easy, close your eyes at the same time. You know, um, things like that. Stand on a pillow with your left, just on your left leg. Walk barefoot at home. Um, and, you know, if you're there, if you want to make a change in uh, sensation, wear a sock on the right foot and no sock on the left foot. You know, and 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 invite people. Where are you not present? Because you're not thinking about your nose right up until three seconds ago, right? Yeah. And but you've got a nose, and it's there, right? And it's uh, so. This, this is the same thing. And f at first, people said, "What are you talking about?" Because they never think about their body, right? So, but so you're not in your feet. Okay, so what are you sensing with your feet? Start walking on grass. Walk barefoot at home. How does a rug feel? How does a wooden floor feel? 
how does concrete feel? Start sensing. So the, the, the first thing is just to sense when you hold a cup of tea, feel the warmth. What is temperature? What is, what is, what is the, the shape of the glass? What is the, does it feel the same on the right side as on the left side? Can, can I differentiate? So it's, to start, it's always easier to do things from the outside. And once people get better at that, then you can take them to the next level, I suppose, and make it more interoceptive, which is, uh, so what am I sensing? And obviously when looking at emotions and, um, and sensation, this can also be a very interesting thing. So you can have sensation X and once, once upon a time there was uh, a, uh, an instance and you had an association with fear because you saw this man who scared you. And now if you get the same sensation, you link it to fear. Is that still uh, relevant in this moment in time? Or could it be something else? So if you, can I, can I separate sensation and emotion? Can I just, can I start observing these? What is the sensation in my body? What I really like is um, uh, this book, which was, I think actually on your list, but I'm not sure, which was Coherence. Oh, uh, yep, yep. Uh, Alan, yeah. Alan Watkins. Alan Watkins, that's Alan, right. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and very enjoyable read. And it really dovetails with where I come from a neurological point of view. And obviously, HRV being a huge thing, which I also use, obviously, to get people to, to start feeling their body. It's a, it's a very simple, fast an effective way of doing it. Can we, can we, for um, our listeners, can we just unpack uh, heart rate variability for a moment? Sure. Um, uh, so, so, okay, so you've got heart rate. Heart rate is uh, boom, 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 60 times per second, per minute. Uh, and the variability, heart rate variability, you, you, this level of depth or? Um, yeah, yeah, yep. The beat to beat. Yeah, just give the basics. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so and basically heart rate variability is uh, how much time is there between beat one and two and two and three and three and four. And the more variable it is, obviously within reason, we don't want an irregular heartbeat. But uh, so within a regular heartbeat, variability uh, signifies flexibility. So the more clockwork it is, the more it's associated with um, um, the sympathetic nervous system, uh, raised cortisol, um, um, reduced immunity, and working on the um, the, the flexibility or the, the the greater degree of variability, uh, the better it is. Now, and the the interesting so, so which I think uh, is kind of counterintuitive for a lot of people. They think yeah. You know, we want regular beat to beat. That's right. <laughs> when in fact, yeah, generally speaking, we don't. We, we, we want irregular, as you say, to, to an extent. <laughs> to an extent, definitely. And, it's, and it's, it's interesting you say that because I find that, that people say, really? And then, but when you say, um, 
Uh, I'm looking, I'm just wanting to translate a word. Uh, yeah, flexibility, I suppose. Everybody hmm. understands that it is easier if, if, you, if, if there's a degree of flexibility. Adaptability. Uh, that adaptability, that's... Adaptability, yeah. adaptive, yeah. adapt to yeah. the environment, microsecond to microsecond. Yeah, that's better. Yeah, I like that. Adaptability, yeah. And it's, and it's, it's a very easy way of, of getting people to sort of come to a different place. Now, so what, uh, what the suggestion and what the research shows is that uh, there are three things that really uh, have uh, a great degree of influence, and that's just going to the location of your heart um, and also to help interoception. I will tend to add to people, okay, so feel also inside your body, so between your sternum and your spine. Mm. Can you feel it? In the direction of your spine as well, uh, and definitely at a later stage, um, that becomes easier as well. When can I still do this with my eyes open? As a matter of fact, can I do it right now? Can I sit here? Ever sorry, when uh, the story takes over, it becomes very easy to sort of lean in and go forward. But can I? drop in also be aware of my system and then my voice drops and i notice that things change and then it, and as an exercise this is first easiest to do with your eyes closed a little harder do it with your eyes open can i still do it whilst i'm listening can i do it whilst i'm speaking can i do it while somebody's niggling me <laughs> or when somebody's really irritating me um and obviously, these are, um, it's a gradation of scales of, of, of complexity. But to come back to a previous question, what is a good way of, of feeling your system? If you first do this at home, whilst you're sitting, whilst you're lying down, feeling your system, and, you know, I will take them to their heart. So I'll just finish the three steps. So the, the second step is uh, breathing. And what the research sh shows, it, it doesn't tend to matter um, uh, whether it's uh, the depth or the, or the speed, as long as the in-breaths are all the same, uh, um, same length and all the out-breaths are the same length without over-focus because then you're going back into sympathetic nervous system again. What I tend to find, but maybe that's just my personal preference, if people can go to 4-4 four, four, to 4-6, four, and so the, the exhalation becomes a little longer, you tend to go more to parasympathetic, I tend to find people find it easier. But that's maybe that's my projection onto their, uh, <laughs> onto their system. Well, well possible. <clears throat> uh, you'd, you'd have to... Um... Would you say that most chiropractors, if you introduce the idea of coaching, it wouldn't be the first thing that they would think about in terms of integrating into their practice? Would that be fair to say? Or are more people uh, chiropractors doing that? I suppose not. 
the thing is because I talk with a lot of chiropractors that are interested in functional neurology. Yeah. It's got to be a part of it. Yeah. So, uh, so I've got a, I've got a slanted view. So I, I in general, I would say I would agree. Yep. Um, but I don't tend to talk to, um, those chiropractors that much. So, um, but yes, I think, I think you've got a point, but I think that anybody that's more interested, at least in some sort of more central nervous system approach, uh, they're going to do this to a degree. I would hope. Hmm. But that's, yeah. Is that, uh, like, is that something you hope for the future in terms of the field? Like what, what's, what, what, what's your, what's your ideal vision for the field, uh, for the future? Well, this, if I make this field coaching and car, everything together, yeah. you know, the, the whole sort of, um, even separating them by two words, mind body or the mind body split yeah. sort of signifies that there's, that they are apart. And uh, I don't see it. I think the research is starting to definitely show that that's not the way and it's not the case. Um, so I would welcome it if um, the, there would be an increased awareness and increased knowledge of the functional uh, aspects of the brain with psychologists, psychiatrists, so, and uh, so that there would be more integration where there'd be a deeper understanding from everybody and to, to basically also to become a little broader and more generalized. Yeah. It's uh, not so reductionist and specialized. Or have the have the specialized approach, but have the the broad knowledge base to be able to draw on, particularly of coaching in the nervous system, because that's communication and the thing that we're always working with anyway, the nervous system, which just astounds me that so many different fields that are uh, working with people, they're working, you know, one nervous system to another, and the exchange and the feedback that goes on between them below levels of consciousness and everything else. And they have no knowledge of the nervous system just blows my mind. What, 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 what needs to happen? Do you think what needs to happen here for us to advance? It's a, a conversations like this, I think. Um, yeah. Brain, brain coach radio advances field. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, maybe just to, to, to bring back, back my sort of also the hemispheric point of view, we've gone, as you say, to a very sort of reductionist view, very more left brain society where everything is analytical, everything is numbers, everything is about performance. Um, and we've and words are very important, but the context of the words and the nonverbal and the, the contact and the sensing of one another is, uh, is, is getting a little snowed under. 
And the, if people understand better what it is that's happening and that if we can actually move more to a integrated system where physical awareness and being aware of sensations and emotions and this obviously the moment you say these words uh, there is going to be a group of people probably that need it the most they're going to say ah oh, that's soft stuff we don't go there it is part of your brain it is just an other part of expression of your brain and so what i'm what basically my i'm trying to entice the left brain to to so that people understand that they're only using um, the or basically that they're not using a huge other part of their brain and they say that's very inefficient maybe we should do something else and then all of a sudden it's uh, it's uh, uh, justified to start feeling their body and to do meditation to and to start going into other fields where you are cultivating different aspects of your brain. What, what are some of the challenges that uh, you face and that maybe even we generally face when we have clients coming in for specific reasons? Let's let's say with you, it's it's um, you know you've got a client that's coming in and they've got a particular. Uh, issue, some sort of problem, maybe a pain or, or something that's going on. What are some of the challenges with then taking them from where they're at to introducing some of these concepts like emotion or mindfulness or, uh, you know, the embodied or interoceptive stuff when they've maybe never been exposed to it before? How do you then bridge that gap? What are some of the pro- approaches that you, that you take? It's a very good question. Now, I have a weird advantage, (laughs) which is that I've got a a long waiting list. Um, So people have got to be motivated to come and see me, so to speak. So I don't see cute people because by definition, I don't see them before the acute phase is over. Um, but still, obviously, there's um, uh, so I think sort of so you create your own patient base or your client base, I suppose, by the person you are. And obviously, the longer you do something, the more that's tailored towards yourself and, and your approach. Uh, still, it, it does happen, obviously. Um, For, in, for instance, so for starters, I will always say to people, um, I'm as good as the patient that I treat. I mean, if, if they don't do the work, we won't get anywhere. I can give tools and so we can both build and work on an improved system. And, and into a better system. Um, but when people come in with pain and they have uh, blinkered vision, so to speak, um, what I will sometimes do is do something like heart rate variability. I'll just take them through the meditation. I would just say, and I will do range of motion and they will feel that they're restricted. And I would say nine times out of 10, it will have drastically improved. 
and then they've experienced something inside. So, well, first I'll ask them, how are you feeling now? And they will say more relaxed or more calm or sense of ease. And then if I redo tests I did before and they notice, ah, and there's something to this. Or asking questions, so when did this pain start? And obviously onset is always interesting. And I think there can be the, the, the triggers, the psychosomatic triggers are rife, you know. So and so if you if you lead them through questioning also down the path of, hey, there might be a correlation between my pain and what's going on in the way I conduct my life. Are people fairly open to that, your clients? Mine are. Great. You think in well, general? <laughs> and, really, and if they're not, I will say to them, okay, this is my viewpoint. So this is the way I roll, mm. and I really think I can help you, and you, you've seen this. Uh, but if this isn't for you, then I really advise you to go to my colleague down the road because I he's got a different approach. And but this is the way I, I want to, because then I can work together with people. And I want to work with motivated people. Yeah. Because it, no, no one it, wants a difficult client. <laughs> Well, no, the thing is, I don't mind difficult from a neurologically challenging, great, right. but I, but but not from, uh, yeah, I've I've dragged with my over enthusiastic and my pathological sort of need to help. In previous years, I've been, I've been pulling on people, and I, and I just it doesn't work. It's not up to me. It is not up to me. Yeah, and it's it's timing, and sometimes I can see potential, or I. I can see potential, but if people aren't willing to move, who am I? I can offer advice and I can ask questions, and if they want to move with me, wonderful. If they want to stay where they are, that's also fine. Yeah. But it's and and I actually noticed that because it it costs me a lot of energy to be. To, to pull this dead weight uh, of lugging somebody around who doesn't want to, you know, the lady who doesn't want to cross the street. And it's then they the, say it doesn't work. Yep. It, it's, and it, but the thing is, it's not the approach that it, it's the one thing that I wish that I could implant into coaches, trainers, pe people that are just, particularly those that are just starting out in business and they think they need to sell everyone into their services and they come off, come off as desperate a lot of the times and, and you know, you, 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 um, you've got your client kicking and screaming and you're trying to drag them to the, through the next thing, through the next intervention. It's like nobody wants to do that. But if you could implant something, you know, change the mindset around this. How, how can we, what, what, what do you think that practitioners of all types, because I think it applies to everyone, what do you think practitioners need to be doing so that they can take this approach that you've been talking about so that they don't feel the need to, oh, I've got to sell everyone into my services. It's perfect for everyone and I need to convert every single person. Interesting. I think probably there's a multitude of things 
But the thing that comes to mind most is, um, and then heart brain coherence training comes to mind again, is if I can be coherent and if I can sit and if I can be with you, um, then most of the time the right things tend to come out of my mouth. Um, and if I'm trying to persuade you, convince you of something, I'm not in coherence. So I'm then I'm I'm from here, from the top of my head, and I'm trying to do this, and I'm going to instill all these ideas, and you've got to follow me. And people feel overwhelmed and intimidated. But if, if I can sit here, if I can just sink into my system, if they want to join me, wonderful. If not, so it's, it's really, you can only work on yourself. If, if I can be relaxed, I can come back to this state of mind. Um, I think that's uh, that would be my my main advice. Love that. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about um, uh, also what was it? Compassionate coaching. Yeah, yeah. Compassion versus compliance. Right. So, and I was thinking about this. And obviously, if heart rate variability has influence on my system, and this happens at 0.1 hertz, or you know, if your heart rate's X, Y, Z, that's no different for you than for me. So if we are in the same room or in the same space, I can we can sense each other even across the globe. And so if we can be in coherence, then it becomes easier for us to listen to one another. And once in coherence, it is much easier to actually listen to what the other person's got to say. And then there is no agenda because there is just presence. Being. Yeah. Lovely. Final thoughts for our listeners. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think presence and being is a is a good one to, to end on. I've got a yeah, if anything, keep keep working on yourself. Just keep working on yourself. And uh, and maybe set the intention to to be present prior to going into a session and maybe not just a coaching session, but also to be present with your kids yeah. and your wife or your husband or anybody, your boss. Such a good skill to have. <laughs> things change. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good skill. So where can, where can people go to connect with you? Where's the best place? Website, social media? Oh, I'm terrible social media. <laughs> website? Maybe I've got to change that. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll website, but it's in Dutch. This is an incentive to uh, to finalize the translation to English. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, 
Um, the um, and I will put an email address. I suppose that's probably uh, something that might help. Yep, yep, that'd be yeah. good. Um, guys, we'll put the uh, links in the show notes so you can connect with class. Thank you very much for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm sure we could talk about this for hours. <laughs> I'm being mindful of time. So. Yeah, same, same here. Really enjoyed it. That's it for this episode. If you want to support the show, make sure to subscribe, leave a five-star review, and then head over to brainfirsttraininginstitute.com to join our community of coaches. And for resources and products to help you upgrade your brain in life, including interviews with leading neuroscientists and health and high-performance experts, go to mybrainfirst.com. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you soon.